Football is a game of aesthetics. It's all about what does it look like? Football is a game of tradition. The man who wins the penalty can't take it. <laughs> Football is a game of passion. Oh, bollocks, Villa have scored. And that is why we love it. Fuck me, why is this stupid game back? I think that was a real low point for me in my life. It's time to turn the volume down. Goals scored by new signings are the only ones that count. Penalties don't count. And Mamoru Saku having an absolute howler. That doesn't count either. The worst 90 minutes of football in Premier League history. He's oh, a fraud. Sedan's a fraud. Everyone's favourite statistical fraud. Brendan Rodgers. All about the aesthetics, that's what Absolutely. I like to see. That is just a bit of stat padding. Individual sport masquerading as a team game. Look at his Instagram, he's the ultimate beat of me. BBC Sport decided to advertise their TikTok account. Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> it just doesn't get any better than that. Hello and welcome to Under the Floodlights this week on the show. West Brom go full Copacabana on Chelsea as Thomas Tuchel becomes the latest foreign manager to be baptised into the Church of Big Sam Football. Another Spursy result by Tottenham damages their hopes of a top four finish, whilst Liverpool take advantage of teams around them dropping points. Man City remind Leicester how far away they are from the best team in the country. All forms of sports media smash their click quotas this week with the Trent versus Southgate agenda and Mateo Kovacic becomes my footballing hero after looking David Coote in the eyes and telling him he's quote the worst ref ever. My name's Darren Scott and I'm here with Bailey Hutchison, Christopher Ringland boys. Very happy Easter to the both of you. Football has risen from the tomb of international break and we are back. Yes I well I, I don't know about you um, I'm sure Bailey you watched the Northern Ireland match but I, I decided the other night as I was eating my dinner I was like oh Sky Sports put up these very convenient um, highlight package videos of the of the, of the international football. So may as well sit down to the playlist and see what happened. Um, now, I didn't think that 37 matches would take so long. Uh, but once you're halfway through, you kind of have to go the whole way, really. Um, but there, there, wasn't, there wasn't too much to shout about, um, except for my personal highlight of Germany getting smacked by North Macedonia. No, I won't speak about that one. Hmm. It's also international football. doesn't count. Yeah, the only thing that I picked up on um, with the international football was that uh, Eric Chupo-Motang um, actually did not get called up um, to the Cameroon team because apparently the Cameroon FA uh, allegedly emailed themselves by accident instead of Bayern Munich or Chupo-Motang, which meant he, he, he did not receive a call-up. Classic excuse. Classic. That's one of those long lines of, oh, I got stuck in the outbox. <laughs> stuck in the outbox? IT's fault. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Colossal admin error. Anyway, we, we don't talk about international football. Um, so the uh, Premier League's back. Um, sort of a weird time of year. I think we've got sort of eight, nine games left for most of the teams. There's just, I think, Billy, you talked about it before the international break. There's sort of a, a bunch of teams who fall into that grey area now of just not relevant. Um, <laughs> their games are unimportant because it doesn't matter for anyone. Um, really. Palace. Palace. Uh, really, uh, yeah, the, the only talking points really anymore are around top four and, and who's the last team who's going to get relegated. Um, well, 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 last two teams. Last uh, two teams. And thank you, Christopher, because that leads us very nicely into um, where we're going to start. And, and that is obviously with um, West Bromwich Albion. Um, a huge result against two Cal's Chelsea, who were looking pretty close to invincible. Um Five goals to two, I think probably the shock result of the weekend for sure. Ah, we're back, aren't we? I was like, I, I, I really enjoyed this game before. Like, I was enjoying what? an international break, being like, Chelsea oh, right. are the best team on this planet. I said they're going to yeah. win the Champions League. The heat. I'll be honest. We're going to win the Champions League. Yes, and I'll be honest. Back down the earth a bit. It was a bit of a blip. 
but I'm not going to overreact too much. Now, if I were to overreact, there would be three men I would blame for this this loss. <laughs> uh, first of all, <laughs> so sorry, you're you're not going to overreact. But I'm if not you were, if you were yes. to overreact, these are the people you would blame. One hundred percent. I'm not okay. overreacting. It's just a blip. But for those who want to overreact, these are the three you have to blame. Uh, first is France manager Didier Deschamps. Absolute joker, this guy. This guy has been at war with Chelsea for two years now over international call-ups of Giroud and N'Golo Kante. And of course, this time he gets his wish, is allowed to call the two of them up. And within three days, N'Golo Kante, who has become seriously injury-prone, does a hamstring. Cheers, Didier. Uh, Second person to blame is Thiago Silva for... (laughs) Very obvious reasons. The guy's 36, hasn't played football since February, and looked up. It, <laughs> it was a horror half hour or so for the big man. The the, the first yellow, Stonewaller, what, I can't remember which player it was, but they were straight through on goal, smart of him, take him down just outside yeah. the box. Well done. I thought very good, very professional. He actually should have been sent off before he got sent off. Oh, really? There was a foul on the halfway line. And I was like, that is, that's an orange card for me. <laughs> so it is. On. And, it, and it, it was like, it was right in front of Big Sam. And of course, Big Sam picked up on it in the, the interviews after. He's like, oh, he should have been off there, but he couldn't complain <laughs> too much later whenever Tiago goes to block a ball and also takes a man with him. <laughs> it was quite clever by the um, West Brom player. Obviously, the ball had gone at that point. The, the contact wasn't that much. It was just a bit of a, through mm. my body at this human to block the ball type <laughs> move, and um... yeah, the, the, the only time you see the only time you see tackles like that in bookings like that are in FIFA, where you yeah. like accidentally half someone, you know, two minutes after they've actually shot. Yeah, and that that comes with the age of the guy as well, because it just takes him that much longer to go through emotion mm-hmm. like that. And then, yeah, the the third and final person I'm going to blame is Richard Scudamore of the Premier League. What are we doing with half twelve kickoffs after an international break? Come on here. Now, my, you can have these games. You can have these games all you want, but not with a top team. I'm sorry, Chelsea had, Chelsea had most of their players come back. I think maybe Thursday night, maybe one training session in them before a half twelve game against West Brom. Three o'clock on Saturday had Leeds against Sheffield. Why on earth is that not played at half twelve? Because you can't divvy it like on arbitrary relevance. How many of those boys were on international duty came back on Thursday? They all had two weeks at the training ground. Chelsea had boys coming from back all over the world. Mm-hmm. You're going, right, get yourself out there at half 12 against Big Sam's Barmy Army. But my top teams here. Yeah, really- them, you want the best product? Put Chelsea on a proper time after an international break. Now you'll get no arguments from me there at all, Bailey. Um, <laughs> the only thing I will say is, I don't know if I'm going to do it. I need some dedicated listener. Can we go back maybe like 15 episodes? <laughs> because this was a talking point from Jurgen Klopp, and I, and I honestly can't remember what side of the fence Bailey was on then. So if somebody could just, idea. if somebody could go back, let me know if Bailey was for or against the 12:30 kickoffs for big teams back then, uh, and DM us that. That would be very helpful. But yeah, but completely was that after you. an international break. It's irrelevant, isn't it? No, no, no. My point's after an international break. I don't care about normal midweeks. I'm talking about boys coming back from the other side of the globe. No, but yeah, no, I, Billy, I, I have a rough Billy, idea what side I fell on. Yeah. Listen, Billy, I'm fascinated by the, none of the three people, well, Tiago Silva, really, none of the three people that you blamed 
had a direct influence on the pitch um, in the way that people like um, Marcus Alonso or Jorginho or, you know, had, you know, or, or, or Diagna or Townsend, these West Brom boys who well, absolutely tore you apart. Well, I'll go through the Chelsea perspective there first. I, I don't want to hammer into them too much. As Marcus Alonso, I would normally hammer into him. But as soon as Thiago Silva comes off, formation starts to change a bit. And he starts having to play as a left-back, which we all know, disastrous. Guy can't do it. There's no, there's no point having him on the pitch in that position. He's not made for it. So, again, I'll, I'll put that one down to blip. Jorginho, shocking game of football, but also played Wednesday night in an international game. Richard Scudamore's fault, so I'll not go at him. Mateo Kovacic, another one. Richard Scudamore's fault, so yeah, I'm not going to get too angry at the Chelsea perspective. No, no, Billy, we have to say, though, that by far, the, and Darren, you must agree, the best moment of this match was the return of Branislav Ivanovic. Yes. <laughs> now, Branislav... Um, was phenomenal at Chelsea. Won everything basically. What? An like absolute every, great. Yep, nine years or whatever. Uh, brilliant. The guy's getting on a bit. Um, <laughs> about thirty-seven now. He was old seven years ago, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever he won the Champions League, he should have retired around then. <laughs> um, one of the all-time great Premier League right backs, really. Um, but he came on for O'Shea in the twentieth minute. And sprinted back with Werner or someone and, uh, and pulled his um, hamstring. But I, I have to say, though, right, regardless of how unfortunate it was for him personally, right, Darren, you must agree with me, stunning uh, boldness from Big Sam to, at that point in the game, uh, West Brom were not winning, um, I don't think. He brought off Ivanovic for Callum Robinson, who's a striker. Yeah. So he actually went more attacking after having to make two defensive subs. Well, the problem the problem I think with that is when your backup centre back is Ivanovic and he's already had to come on for an injury. I imagine there's not a huge amount of mm. more depth. If Ivanovic is your next best option and you've lost that, I don't think you want the option behind Ivanovic. <laughs> so it was we throw on Callum Robinson who loves playing against Chelsea by all accounts. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> I think seeing these outrageous stats with <laughs> Callum Robinson. So it's yes, into Ronaldo. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll we'll get on to, to talking about West Brom because I think it is important to praise them. But but just talking to um, what you were talking about there with Ivanovic tracking back, Chris. Um, the important part of all of this really is that there's been a huge amount of conversation about Timo Werner um, <laughs> coming back from the international break because again I think he missed a sitter in international duty. There was some talk. I think Tuchel said this week he wanted to stay behind in training this week and do some extra shooting practice. I don't know if that's true or false. And, and Tuchel was saying I didn't want to let him do it you know because he's just he's overthinking it he's in his own head the guy must be looking at his luck and thinking like when's this going to change Ivanovic literally had one sprint in him that day and it was to track Werner hmm. 40 yards stop him scoring and then that was him done for his day's work yeah I, it, it's a strange thing with team because I've seen obviously a, a couple of bad strikers at Chelsea in the time and I, I can't get angry at him so there were players I got angry at. Murata, I was I got seriously oh, yes. angry at him because he just got in a load of bad habits of diving and crying at the referee and just not looking like he was trying. Uh, Higuain was another. He just didn't want to be at the club. But then you go to like other strikers who had a bad time, like Torres and Ferner. I'd lump in that category where I can see him doing the correct things. It's just that there's just 
a mojo, there's a vibe, there's something external that he can't control that's just against him. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's something a family member has done in a past life that is coming back to haunt him right now. Because he is, he's doing everything right. He's not really gurning. He's getting in good positions. He's making the right runs. There's just, yeah, it's in between the ears at this point. Yeah, I think I've said to you guys before, the easiest way to lose something is to want it too badly. And I think like he's just, too, he's so desperate for a goal. And you kind of get the impression like next season, you know, if he gets one or two early on, you get the feet, you know, the floodlights could or the floodgates mm. could open. Um, and I suppose, you know, you're talking about him doing the right things. He, he did put one on a plate for Mason Mount later in the game to try and give Chelsea some hope of, of coming oh, back yeah. into it. So it's not that he's playing badly, but my God, it's funny watching him go through on goal. <laughs> but, but we, we do have to say, though, that like, like, be like that West, I think it was Diagna's goal for West Brom when they did like the one touch down, oh. down the left hand side, back heel. It was phenomenal. Goal. Some of the stuff played from them against ten men. It was like prime Barcelona. Yeah. This lot, I couldn't believe Big Sam could instill this type of football <laughs> in this lot. So as I'm looking at it, going, this lot, we're down and out. Our second lowest in the league have looked terrible under Big Sam recently, and then they're producing one touch football, great finishes. Yeah, like these were proper yeah. goals like there was one, they, one of the finishes yeah. on the volley um, yeah Robinson yeah, from the right hand side Cam Robinson in full speed that looked really good I think I said this to you guys at the time uh, I have reviewed the footage and that does come off his shin so we do <laughs> oh, unfortunately shame. listen I hear him Rules are rules, and um, mm. and we do have to knock him down a little bit because that's not a clean strike. Um, mm. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Some of the football played was was fantastic, and I think the worst thing about getting Big Sam is that the camera keeps going to him, and he oh, just sits there looking big. so smug on the uh, bench. I uh, think he's got one over on. Yeah. He's probably sitting there going, "Oh, look at this, this lad with his tactics, thinking, and thinking he knows. Well, welcome the England big lad, egg yeah. and chips for dinner." <laughs> But yes, that makes Big Sam the first manager to win at Stamford Bridge with three different clubs, and that's Bolton, Palace, and West Brom. I mean, a lot of people forget that, like, well, or just don't even realise, really, because maybe they just think he's not really like that. Like, the reason Big Sam's always been such a good manager is because he's actually quite, um, like, he was one of the first ones to bring in, like, the stats and all that, you know, at Bolton. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was very forward-thinking. At the time. Yeah, I think it's his personality. Back then. It's yeah. his personality as much as anything kind of yeah. covers over, uh, or and even yes. sort of the stereotypes about him cover over any of the work that he's done. But but obviously, Bailey, from your perspective as a Chelsea fan, haven't seen this, you know, I, I'm somebody who has also witnessed my team done over by Big Sam this year. <laughs> um, and I think that the encouraging thing for all Chelsea fans out there is that, you know, you're not alone. Uh, we're all in this. There's like a brotherhood of people yeah. who are just going, oh, fuck, Sam's rolled in. And well, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll be honest. I can't wait for this lot to go down. Are West Brom down? Please, because I can't, honestly, I can't go another year of watching Callum Robinson just turn in the prime Lionel Messi against Chelsea. <laughs> no, I, him I, I, him yeah. and his, McGoldrick at Sheffield United. Oh, get the two of them out of this league. Because <laughs> them two are dreadful football players and then they turn up at Stamford Bridge and honestly, it's like they're on PDs. So it is these lads just turn it on. Oh, get them get them down. No, I, I, I'm looking at it, right? And so it, so from my understanding, it would be technically the greatest escape in Premier League history, which is, I think, was actually West Brom before as well, like 2005 or something. <laughs> they're a game in hand on Fulham and are five points off 
Fulham in 18th and another three off Newcastle. Yeah. Now, obviously, it's it's very, very hard for them to win um, three out of the remaining um, eight games, but it's not inconceivable. Well, Sam, Sam said he needed five wins before the game yesterday, so there's one. And then oh, his head, he right. needs he needs four more now. Kind of looking at some of the fixtures, they've Southampton, Leicester, Villa, uh, Wolves, Arsenal, Liverpool, West Ham, Leeds. Like there's How no. Can you even predict it? Well, there's like, not there's an a, easy game in there. Yeah, but there's at least four games in there against grey area teams whose season's mm. over. Yeah. I, Wol- Wolves in there. Leeds. They, they'd like to think Leeds last Southampton season, probably. So it is. Yeah, that is true. There's a couple like, of. Teams in there with nothing to play for might roll over and die. But they still, they still, <laughs> they still concede so many goals. Like that's the issue. Like oh. it's only because they scored so many against Chelsea that they were able to win. Yeah, know? but we'll see. I think obviously, I mean Fulham, they probably missed an opportunity. One um, mm. 0 up with ten minutes to go against Villa. You're probably thinking at that point we're either going to win the game or at worst case draw. And um, <laughs> to lose the game three one was was pretty awful. Scott Parker called that a blip, and I thought. <laughs> It's a bit more. <laughs> he was like, well, you know, we've got over that. these in the past, we'll have to get over this one. It's like, well, Scott, you're running out of time. What, um, what jacket did he have on today? That'll be a big thing for him. Because no. he's very superstitious with all that. Well, warmer weather, I think it was a more lightweight one this week. Well, that, that's so, why. Yeah. See, that's why. Um, I think Tuchel said as well that it was a bit of a, a wake-up call for both the players and him after losing to... Um, and him? Yeah. Oh, he, he he's t- taking his time? Yeah, he included himself in it with this result against right. um, against Sam. Good stuff. Ollie, as I say, I, I, I thought it was a blip and then they, they have a game on Tuesday or Wednesday against Porto where, you know, start to get this together again. So yeah. Sometimes it gives the teams a kick up the ass. You know, you've still got eight games to go in the league plus Champions League plus, are you guys FA Cup? I believe so. But yeah, if this if this becomes more than a blip, I'll be at Richard Scudamore's door. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the top four race is kind of heating up. Um, Liverpool had a great result um, against uh, an Arsenal team that I don't think we'll be Pathetic. heaping too much praise on. Um, <laughs> Liverpool won by three goals to nil. Um, listen, it was probably as comfortable a game as Liverpool have had in a long time. Um, if you look at what teams have done to Liverpool in the last two or three months? Um, they've had teams have had a lot of success against Liverpool, um, and Arsenal decided to do the complete opposite of what all of those teams <laughs> did. They didn't want to press Liverpool. They didn't want to put the ball in behind. They didn't really do anything. Um, yeah, they're, they're a disgrace, there. Yeah, it was bad. I was looking into this um, this week, and this is kind of Arsenal related and Spurs related with with their result against um, against Newcastle. Uh, but basically, there's a topic in social psychology called stereotype threat, and basically, what it is, it's a situational predicament in which people are or feel themselves to be at risk of conforming to stereotypes about their social group, and that kind of that just jumps out to me as being the single biggest issue that's happening at clubs like Arsenal and Spurs at the moment, that it doesn't matter what players they bring in, what managers they use, what tactics or formations. The stereotype about Spurs is that they're Spursy, and the stereotype about Arsenal is that they're weak, they roll over and they lack fight. And that stuff's sort of deep-rooted in the culture of those clubs. Mm. Anyone they bring in is just going to fall into the same pattern unless that culture problem is addressed properly, and that's a massive job. Um, and Arteta was starting to get a little bit of flack this week because obviously they were comparing his record to Emery's first 50 games plus Wenger's last 50 and it's worse than both of those. Mm. And the question I think with Arsenal really, it's not about 
are you getting results on the pitch? It's can you change the culture problems? Please, so, someone rescue Kieran Tierney from it. Please, <laughs> he, he doesn't deserve it. Like he he's trying to get rid of all that. He puts his all in everything. Is just a normal guy. Please, just rescue him from it. Yeah, is it? Yeah, I, it was a good win for for Liverpool. I mean, like, I, I mean, it's nice to say. I mean. Would Liverpool's season have been different with Diogo Jota being fit? Because, I mean, he has been outstanding like since he's joined. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, I think you could say that about a few of the Liverpool boys, obviously. Well, the centre-backs. The yeah, centre-backs, but, yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh But Jota has made a real difference. I mean, all this, all this nonsense about Trent in England. Mm, I mean, and it is nonsense. Well, well, I mean, like obviously, obviously he is one of the best right-backs in the world, clearly. If not, you know, was at one point in the past year, uh, approves it again in that game. Yeah, and listen, you know, my personal opinion is that of course he should have been called up. Um, I think Bailey, you made the point uh, a couple of episodes ago about yeah. how Southgate alleged that he picked the the team on form, and Kieran Tierney's been serving, or um, Trippier. Kieran Trippier, sorry, has been serving a ban for betting. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a nonsense. Um, I think, well, first of all, I hated all the Sky Sports, sports media hype oh, around oh, it. Yeah, what, and what it's like, yeah. here's a video of, of Trent celebrating Liverpool's goal after he mm. put the cross in for Jota. And it's like every player on the Liverpool team celebrated that. You know, that's not a headline. Player celebrates team scoring. <laughs> that's a nonsense. And also, I had an issue with Jurgen Klopp's comments. What on earth? Well, he just came out and he was like, oh, I don't understand why Southgate didn't pick him. You know, it's my responsibility. Oh, if somebody yes. says Trent's in a bad form, it's my responsibility to tell them they're not. If you're Jurgen Klopp, you should be encouraging international coaches not to pick Liverpool players. And yes. that goes for all top clubs. Your manager should be coming out trying to say players are in worse form than they are in, if it'll mean that you get two weeks off during the international break. 100% I back this. Because Southgate's another one whose door I'll be at for dropping Trent. <laughs> That's the last thing I need as a Chelsea fan is to watch Trent get in his own head going, I need to prove something here. Sort of a mini season the end. Two weeks off there. Meanwhile, Mason Mount plays three games for England against Farmers. What is this guy doing? Oh my! D- yeah, anyone out there just put Trent Alexander-Arnold in a fantasy team because honestly, this guy's about to go on a tear. <laughs> Sorry, can we just clarify that uh, that Robert Lewandowski was one of the farmers that England played against? No, no, no. He he didn't play. He was like injured, allegedly. I think he did. Yeah, he played. He played for Byron this week. Probably played at the he weekend for Byron. Exactly. He's a smart one. Meanwhile, Mason Mount's playing against Romania or something. Come on here. So, something oh. I did want to comment on Liverpool and sort of there. You know, they've been on a nice little run over the last couple of weeks or the last couple of games. Um, yeah, yeah, I think they've, they've yeah, they've a few clean sheets their last three games, I think. Um, and you talked about how Jota's come in and that's made such a big difference. The biggest difference is that Fabinho's back in midfield. And yeah. I think you have to give a huge amount of credit to, to Kabak yeah, and, to Kabak and Nat Phillips because they, against Arsenal, granted there weren't many questions asked about them, but they started to look quite confident as a centre-back pairing. That allows Fabinho to play in midfield. I, I stand by, I think he's the best defensive midfielder in the world. Um, um he does. He just makes such a difference to that Liverpool yeah. team when he's in there, and it frees up everybody else. And I think, I, I think Liverpool, yeah, they're going to be shaky at the back, but I think 
nowhere near as bad as they were sort of at the beginning of 2021 and um, when it really was a bit makeshift back there and um, so i think we do have to give a bit of credit to, to nat phillips who i love and and Kabak. and and darren another big reason uh, we'll talk about um the other reason why we're going to discuss them in a second but the other big reason that for the improvement is the return to form of allison who uh, was very bad for a while um but has uh, newly groomed he has uh returned to <laughs> return mm. yeah Alison Becker in that mustache makes me feel safe again. <laughs> I, yeah, we were chatting a bit about this during the game, and initially I was for it, and then after watching the game, I, I was like, he looks like something, and I, I just get serious Ned Flanders vibes from him, which I don't like for a Premier League player. He is one of the best looking humans that's ever walked this earth. I mean, I, like no, no bones about it, like. He's a phenomenal looking guy, right? And like only only he could pull off something like that. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like I mean to describe it, it's kind of like a like a fifties barber scene. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Like mm-hmm. um, like clean shaven, uh, but like you can kind of see see the stubble, yeah, uh, beard, and then like full full mustache mm-hmm. um, and and a bit of a bit of a head. Yeah, it's just it's it's sort of traditional alpha dog values isn't it just hairy male mm. um and that's what makes me feel safe yeah big lad as well um do, i mean do you want to talk at all about um about sort of this talk of there the, we're into this um time of year where you know transfer talk is starting to pick up um with the summer we're not quite in silly season just yet but obviously there's been talks about a bit of a squad overhaul at liverpool this summer there were rumors this week about um Kanate from Leipzig um, oh, coming Leipzig. in. Oh. I don't know what that means for Kabak. Obviously, Jeannie Wijnaldum's contract's coming to an end. There's talk Divock could move on. Shakiri, a big um, overhaul big like that. that. Um, we did talk about this a little bit off air. Have Leipzig ever sold anyone who was good? <laughs> <laughs> I, this is one of my favourite things whenever that story appeared for Kanate. And as you said, like a load of weeks back, Darren, about the like Liverpool transfer twitter mm-hmm. that go on and just like it, it, like within seconds of that news break and go out and finding highlight packages of the guy <laughs> yeah, getting getting stats that no one's ever heard of like together going oh this this guy's unbelievable and then we can go back to comments you had about leipzig in general mm-hmm. about this lot defensively are one of the worst teams we've ever seen well it's not even just that i mean i spoke to you guys before about how I don't think anybody like Leipzig's like this little sort of self-contained ecosystem whereby club. when you're yeah. when you're in that ecosystem you look quite good and there's all the hype about the Bundesliga and nobody really mm. watches it so it's probably all sort of just filters through. Yeah, you get <laughs> their German, they must be hard. You know, and, and you know, there's talk of Sabitzer, he's apparently pretty good in whatever, right? But people said that about Naby Keita, people said that about Timo Werner. Um I don't have a list in front of me of other players Leipzig have sold, but I honestly can't think of any player who's left Leipzig. They generally all go for big price tags because they're all hyped up. And there's nobody who, who's left them and then seems to have really gotten better at the club that they've gone to. Yeah, I could yeah, be we, wrong. We looked through the list and we, I, I think our conclusion was Adi Lukman was probably up there with mm-hmm. uh, one of the best players. Yeah, and he players. started in England. Yeah. I think you should, be, you should be technical director for Leipzig here. Anytime <laughs> there's like a big player wanting out, you're going, right, fella. Let me sit you down and let mm. me show you everyone else. You know, here's Timo. Timo had fifty goals that year. Look what happened to him. Here's Naby. Looked like an unbelievable player. 
score like double digits goals and assists even though he had like 10 red cards that season he's still double digits everywhere else he's gone off the Liverpool got a number 8 shirt done nothing with it do you really want to leave here? Mm. Yep, 17 pre-assists this season for Canate. Oh, there we Great go. Player, there there we mean, go. Um, oh, that is minging. And, and I still, I mean, I go back to, uh, I've seen that Upa Meccano fellow play on two occasions and he's the most hyped up centre-back in the world and I thought, my God, this guy's muck. <laughs> yeah, and he's Liverpool going to Bayern. The guy for, beside him. And he's going to Bayern for 35 months. I don't even think Canate played against Liverpool and that worries me. Like he couldn't get in that back three. Yeah, that was (laughs) I mean, that's the tough thing. Like, I back Liverpool's transfer committee, you know, through and through. I think they've done some great business. But I am so um, skeptical about Leipzig. I'd love to see, like, behind the curtain. That's one place I'd love to go. I'd love, like, a week's work experience at Leipzig because I reckon they're doing some funny business that just screws with the rest of the footballing world. No, they're the (laughs) ultimate money ball. I mean, like, they are how you do it on a... And it's because of the Salzburg link as well. Like, they they get the best ones from there and the New York team and the Red Bull stuff. Maybe it's Red Bull. Maybe that's a secret. But everyone in Germany hates them because they all think they're, you know, they haven't gone with the proper German way. Of, oh. uh, of of making your own money um, and that kind of thing. So, uh, well, anyway, looking to um, move on. Uh, Spurs did a bit of a Spursy performance against uh, Newcastle. Right. Who, Chris, you've right. been very quick in previous weeks to talk about how rubbish Newcastle are. And um, two two, even Jalinton done a goal this week. Couldn't um, believe it. <laughs> Good for him. They're still down. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, like, a two two draw. <laughs> like I'm sorry, like BBC Sports. Which I will reiterate is um, state funded by the taxpayer. Um, decided to, like, they've gone give me sports. You know, they've got an article on the main page today. Um, this, this is the headline, direct quote Jose Mourinho, Tottenham boss, the same coach, and blames players for dropped points. And then the, the, the leading line in the article is Tottenham leading and then dropping points has become a bit of a habit this season, but. According to manager Jose Mourinho, it is not his fault. I mean, could you be any more provocative? Um, just to remind BBC Sports, who, um, I don't know, it's McNulty, whoever it is, that um, <laughs> Mourinho has uh, won the Champions League with Porto and Inter Milan and has won the league with Inter Milan, Real Madrid and Chelsea and Porto several occasions um, and has won everything in the game. So, uh, I mean, do we really need to... Is it really... All Jose's faults. Uh, he did. He did come round uh, today, and like it was after the game, and he said, "I think the line was same coach, different players." And that was all. Like very, very simple. Very get at this lot, especially who was it? Vinicius it's a, was up top. Yeah. It's a fact. It's a fact. It goes back to the stereotype th- threat thing that I mentioned earlier. It doesn't matter what players you bring in. It's Tottenham Hotspur. It's Spursy, and any player who you bring into that system will fall into the stereotype of being Spursy. It's it's just unfortunate. It's like even like Harry Kane's just like stat had another two goals there today, and not got a not got a win. You know, it's that's just ingrained in him. Like the guy could score like a thousand goals in his career, and it won't matter because he'll not win anything. Well, there's talk obviously of him moving on this summer. Well, oh, he has to get out. Has well, to get out. Man City, get your like do everything you can to get yourself. Well, up do, do you do a shear? If you're him, if you're him, do you do a shear and and stay? Well, here's my thing, and, and it kind of goes on. It, it's similar to the way I feel about some of the, the big Liverpool guys who might be moving on. Um, I look at, like, Genie Wijnaldum, okay, and his contract coming to an end. 
Gini Wijnaldum was a key part of the Liverpool team who won the Champions League, who finally won the Premier League. Yeah. To be completely honest, he's earned the right to, to go somewhere else if that's what he wants to do. It's the same with Mo Salah. If he wants to move on, he's earned that right. Harry Kane could not have given any more to Tottenham over the last however many number of years. I think if anybody in that team has earned the right to move on to go and win things, I think it's him. And I don't think there should be any bad blood if that's what he chooses to do. Oh, I, I totally agree. I just like it's just Levy, you know. Like, can you imagine saying that to him? I don't know. Like, but he must see it coming. Like, he's an intelligent guy. But, but like, I, I just, I'm, I just would love to know what he acts like because what was the reason why? Like why Shear? Because Shear famously didn't go to Man United. That was the thing. Like Alan Shear, like like he, he turned down Ferguson yeah. um, before they won the treble. No, and I, I don't really know what the reason was. Um, but it, like it's a very similar situation. Well, it's just a different time. You could talk about like Stevie G going to Chelsea and then pulling out at the last minute because it wasn't Liverpool. But it's a different well, time. You know, players do move about a lot more and. Mm. Um, I think there's, Kane, there's still the loyalty, though. There's still the there's still the you know supporting the club and everything. Yeah, yeah but the power of players has changed now um, and, because and, they yeah, attract but, so much in in terms of revenue and different things. Kane's looking and saying, "I could have done no more for Tottenham Hotspur in terms of my performance on the pitch, in terms of putting bums in seats in the crowd, in terms of selling shirts. He's done absolutely everything he possibly could, and this team is not good enough. So if he wants to leave, loyalty aside, but I wouldn't blame him. I wouldn't yeah. blame him. Yeah." Yeah, I wouldn't blame them. Uh, the only thing, I, I would tell them to leave. If I'm his agent and if I'm in his circle, I tell him, go, Man City are clearly looking a striker this summer. Halland and that agent guy who Alex Ferguson described as a shite bag one. <laughs> they're, they're looking <laughs> like three quarters of a billion over the course of that. You know, you're going, Harry's definitely a cheaper option. The only, the, the only issue I think for a Kane move is falling into that Van Persie trap. Yes. Where Van Persie is now now got what he wanted whenever he got that move. He, he, he left Arsenal to go to United with the he sole won, purpose of the I want United. a medal. Yeah, yeah, I want a medal. Yeah. But the issue for him is he's not a he's not a legend at either club now. Because Man United will look up and be like, oh, we got one good season out of him. And then Arsenal fans will be like, oh, he's a rat. He left us. And I think Kane needs to just well, watch. That's the one thing Kane has to think about. He's like, do I want the medals or. Like, do I want to actually, like, be the the legend of this club forever? You know, if he, if he stays at Tottenham and yes. gets all his records, he'll, he'll get a stand named after him or a mm. room at the tr- training ground. You just no, have that, to watch that. That. That, that is a fair comparison, Billy. But I, I, the one difference is that when Van Persie went to United, I mean, that was, I mean, he was like 33 at the time or something. He yeah, was yeah, the yeah. absolute peak of his career. And it, yeah. after that, it never got any better. Like, Kane probably still has probably about six seasons at the peak of oh, his career. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? And will and will probably break Alan Shearer's record if he stays in the Premier League. And that that's the thing he has to stay in this league because those records are just so within touching distance. He may as well. Yeah, because yeah. I suppose the other you could compare him a little bit to. You were talking about how Van Persie went to United and lost sort of the club legend status at Arsenal. Henri left, but he went abroad, so then he was able to yep. retain yes. that. Arsenal legend status, yeah. where you know if Kane maybe went to Spain or or Germany or wherever, well. Don't go to Germany, go to, Harry. Don't, don't go, go to, to Germany. Well, go to Germany, you'd break <laughs> all the records. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, go a, to it's easy over there. It's easy. Um, but yeah, maybe if he was to look to go abroad, there might not be as much uh, animal. I don't. I don't know if Spurs fans would be angry. 
Um, I really yeah. don't. Definitely be interesting. I say I I would be very curious to see what the the reaction would be if Kane left and Josie stayed. I think that would be quite an mm. interesting dynamic over mm. the summer. Because yeah. like the flip side of it is, if he leaves, you know, you're going to get over a hundred million, probably more than that. And sure. if mm. if that yeah. money, that if Jose then goes and buys, you know, three or four players with that money, that makes this Tottenham team more suited to Jose and therefore better for results. I mean, it's all you know, it's all hypotheticals, obviously. But um, we want to keep an remember. eye. I have to remember what Spurs did the last time they got that amount of money for a player. Brought <laughs> <laughs> in Lamella. Photo. Yeah, brought in Lamella. Yeah, and then here was Vlad Karakesh. Was uh, uh, Soldado. Soldado was on the book. Eddie and Capu. I wonder, does it happen? It doesn't matter as well what happens with England. Like, if England were to win the Euros, would Harry be happier to, you know, because then he's won something, would he then be hmm. happier to sit at Spurs? Probably, yeah. If, if he got a knighthood out of it. Yeah. But, you, but like, like yeah, that, that's the thing. I wonder what, what does motivate him. Does, what, is it trophies or is it the idea of being adored by Tottenham? Because that, that is the, you know, that is why he's weighing up. Because mm. he probably will win something event. He could win the League Cup, you know, in uh, mm. Um, Listen, no kid, no kid, seven years old. What you, you know? What's your biggest goal? I want to, I want to win the Carabao Cup and get out of here, Christopher. <laughs> uh, well, you know, and I, I, I don't know whether the experience of being so close to winning the Champions League would have changed things either. You know, I, like I, I don't know whether that would have motivated him. Oh, well, you know, this is what it feels like to be so close. I actually want it. You know. Because um, it'll take years to get back to that with Spurs. Yeah. Um, something I did want to touch on really quickly is I don't know. Did you guys see um, Mark Clattenburg's comments this week? Um, did an interview where basically he talked about sort of the five uh, worst players to referee that he came across in his career. Excited for this. I'm not even. I mean, the list isn't overly important. I'll, I'll fly through it quite quickly. Uh, Rio Ferdinand was at number five. Uh, Roy Keane was at number four. Pepe the Former Real Madrid centre back was oh, at number three. Absolutely, absolutely. That, I thought that was <laughs> an interesting player. one. I thought that was interesting because surely Mark couldn't have refed him that many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, Brilliant. Yeah, number two was Jens Lehmann. Apparently, he used to gurn at the ref all the time. Yeah. That people used to stand on his toes at corners. Another interesting one because he's at the other end of the pitch most of the time, Mark. Yeah. And number one uh, was Craig Bellamy, and this is the one. Oh, that easy, easy, easy. Number one seed, like. The, so these are the these are the comments Absolutely. that Mark made about Craig Bellamy. He said the worst one, and I've thought about it for years, was Bellamy. He was just the most irritating player on the pitch, and he was irritating off it as well. He was downright rude. It didn't matter what you said to him. I made mistakes against him, but what he used to say to you, it was not accept acceptable. And this is where class. And, and you know he's he's got priors he's done this before he said people say you should have sent him off I did incorrectly for diving and then he said I cautioned him I cautioned him at Bolton for diving and it was a blatant penalty he was just a guy I didn't get on well with this is a game Mark admitting to making purposeful errors in refereeing this guy ever since he gave up refereeing just needs to shut his mouth because the amount of times he gets he says something along the lines of that he went in the games with his own agenda yeah here he has a personal problem with a player yeah and therefore isn't impartial i think he had similar comments to that chelsea spurs game where he's like oh i wanted to see spurs implode this guy, come on, it goes quiet. It goes back to we mentioned this a few episodes ago, where it's just oh, that you know, referees. Oh, I don't like the way he looked at me. Yellow card. 
<laughs> that sort of stuff. Yeah. But what worries me is, is this culture still a thing within the world of referee? Like, is Mike Dane or is David Coote or all these morons? Are they have are they going into games with these agendas that they're booking people or not booking people based on oh, I don't like him? Well, I, hope I, not I, because... I just can't see people like Coote having like people like Coote or they just don't have the same like yeah. alpha nature about them. I don't yeah. think like. But that's just the, that's that's what worries me about Clattenburg's comments. And I think if you're a Premier League referee that you should find that worrying because it does call into question the sort of integrity of referees. Hmm. I, I wonder if, like, at the weekend there, cause we're talking about Coote. Coote was called the worst ref ever to his face by Kovacic. Which and I didn't, love. Didn't, act, didn't act on it. You know, <laughs> why, why he's up and book him? I also he did book him. He, but he booked him for, like, a tackle. Yeah, for the so fall, yeah. Yeah, he, he should double book him for <laughs> that criticism. That's a tough he one to justify, him. though, because... In the match usually, <laughs> and usually you can't. Usually nobody can hear it. It's only that um, you're able to get the clips online without crowd noise. Mm. And then, but I wonder, like, if Stuart Atwell went into that game, Liverpool Arsenal, being like, if any of these ones mention my haircut. Or... <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I actually wanted a referee at the amateur league who told us in his um, pre-game talk. He was like, "If any of you call me Ginger, I'm booking you," and he Brilliant. was deadly serious. <laughs> he had like sort of that strawberry blonde type hair and he said in his it's like I don't give a shit about offsides throw-ins not, it's like if any of you call me ginger genuinely I'll book you <laughs> I love that is there any ginger refs in the pram? Uh, no and probably for good reason yeah <laughs> none make a pass the amateur level there we go it's all about the aesthetics Yep. <laughs> um, just to confirm, also uh, live on the pod that uh, Man United have just beaten Brighton uh, 2-1. And I can confirm uh, very briefly that the general punditry and commentariat from the public is that Brighton were hard done by and deserved to win the game, but yet Man United won the game. Graham Potter also did say this week that um, not losing to United would be a positive result, which I thought you might have picked up on, Chris. Um, <laughs> Um, anyway, do you want to touch very quickly on uh, Manchester City before we move on to In the Mud? Obviously, big sort of close to the top of the table clash between them and Leicester. And um, I think, to be fair, they probably showed Leicester have had a really great season and, and we have complimented them uh, a little bit on the pod in the past. But, yeah, there's a big gap between them and, and Man City, obviously. Uh, well, I wouldn't say a big gap, but I would say that Kevin De Bruyne is starting to turn into the category of one of the best footballers of all time. Oh, absolutely, this lot are just they're too good it's like its like a team on FIFA who are playing against everyone else on the lowest difficulty you know, the, the transfer budget's way higher than anyone else, they go out and slap people they've 80% possession most weeks like it's just, it's not even fun that's the point where you turn the game off and go off, <laughs> get back to that in next year's copy and Chris, you weren't jumping on the you know, you defended Leicester. Leicester in the first half were appalling against Manchester City. Um, they did not register a single shot on or off target. No, no but I, I think what I more took issue with was that they are they're like miles off, despite the fact they definitely have been better this season than Chelsea, Spurs, Liverpool, Arsenal. And that doesn't mean that they're still not miles off. In forty five minutes, they couldn't get near them. Well, I, I thought. I, like I know he's been out with injury and stuff this season, but the news that Sergio Aguero that he would be leaving in the summer, like I think it was, it's been a bit too damp considering the how 
much he's done for that club. I know they'll obviously like honour it in in due course, the same way they did with Company and Silva and Yaya Toure. But I mean, the, like he is difficult. To, I mean, he is one of the best strikers in Premier, like well, uh, top three probably strikers in Premier League history. Yeah, I think just it's tough at City because even their best players at times are going to fade a little bit into the background because the squad's that good. I mean, you talk about De Bruyne being, you know, maybe one of the best footballers to play. There was a point this season where nobody gave a damn because Gundogan was scoring every week. Uh-huh. Um, mm. And I just think that's kind of the... They're they're almost a victim of their own success a little bit at City that um, the whole team's so good. Their recruitment every year is generally pretty good to the point where there's always good new players coming through as well that then when they start to phase out other older players or some players leave the club there's just a natural replacement or they go out and buy one and it's kind of very quickly forgotten about and i think that's a shame for the the top players at city hmm. some some crack from guardiola this week whenever oh. obviously uh Haaland done his nba nfl style tour of europe <laughs> In terms of like all the clubs, he, he seemed to do a day in Spain, came up to England, done four or five clubs, had all the crack, and Guardiola turned around and was like, oh, oh we don't have the money this summer to oh, buy a striker. Really and you're like, Pep, that is the biggest lie I've oh, heard Because Barcelona game. have the money for it, obviously. You know, exactly. Being 600 million in debt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, Man City, you're probably you're adding another load of seats to one of their stands this summer. Don't have enough. You know, they're Pep's crime poverty here. Yeah, they have to say that so that they don't get shafted in negotiations, though, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Um, Bailey, you got in the mud this week? Very much so. So, uh, to carry on from the Sergio Aguero news, uh, Oliver Holt, the chief sports writer at the Mail on Sunday, is in the mud this week. Uh, an old tweet has resurfaced from July 27th, 2011 where Oliver tweeted, Aguero will be the highest profile signing of the summer so far if it happens. Still think Charlie Adam to Liverpool could be the best, though. (laughs) (laughs) Sergio Aguero has gone on uh, to win four, soon to be five Premier Leagues, an FA Cup, five League Cups, with another final on the way, 181 league goals and 272 appearances, Probably the most iconic moment in the history of the Premier League. Uh, the Man City owners have said as well there there will be a statue of Sergio alongside those of uh, Vincent Company and David Silva. Uh, Chris, you mentioned earlier Yaya Toure. He's not getting one. Uh, similar situation to the birthday cake. Deserve <laughs> it. Uh, Charlie Adam, meanwhile, after this tweet, won one League Cup and currently plays for Dundee. So... Uh, the, the reason this came back to light, again, was Oliver's tried to be funny this week and has uh, come did, out. And... Did, did he make it like a deal of it himself kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. He, he retweeted oh, it no. saying, one of the greats. No, oh, that's all well and good. That's, that, that, that seems like a bit of crack. Until you go into like the, the replies initially to the tweet, that it must have resurfaced around 2014, 2015, and people started calling him out on it. And the guy conveniently started blocking these people who were chirping him and going, like, as soon as people were going, oh, that's a horrible opinion, he would just reply, blocked. And now, all of a sudden, a few years later, oh, it's a bit of banter with the lads, funny times, you know. He wasn't taking it that well. But one person who did have a have a good response to it was Charlie Adam himself, who just <laughs> oh, said, of course he did. Of course I he think did. he did okay in the end. What a player he has been for City. 
Charlie Adams, <laughs> Char- Charlie Adams has a left foot. We have to say, you know, we're convinced what we want, but the guy has a left foot. I'm sorry, he was a player that didn't pass the eye test for me. <laughs> <laughs> this this <laughs> shows about aesthetics. Charlie Adams is not an under the floodlights player. No, yeah, if you look but, but, look at the development I mean, of that- Thiago. Yeah, Christopher, it was in a dark era for me that I've blocked from my psyche that Liverpool time. Um, yeah. Mid- a midfield of Charlie Adam, Jay Spearing, John Joe Shelby, a real good looking bunch. Look like the Mitchells from EastEnders. There was also Royal Morellas at one point. Oh dear, he, yeah. he went to Chelsea in. after? Yeah. Uh, he was one bored on the back of the team bus, just noodling and then yeah. getting someone else to yank him up. <laughs> so so that was that was in the mud this week? Just a very quick one. Oliver Holt uh, for his prediction that Charlie Adam would be a better signing for Liverpool than Aguero to Man City. Bold. I mean, I love that people can do that to us. I'm sure if you go back to the episodes two, three, nah. four. I mean, we've. I mean, there's the Ringland the cab, bomb. But we're right. Yeah, there's the Ringland bomb. <laughs> he changes <laughs> things every week. <laughs> changes like, things mid game. <laughs> anyway, boys, listen. Um, that pretty much brings us to the end. Um, to my knowledge, there are no more international breaks between now and the end of the oh, season, which means September. Which means strap in because we've got a bit of a slog ahead of us. Um, mm. Any final words from you two? Well, there's still like I know I know there's a lot of there's been a lot of chat about you know us wanting like people wanting us to do bonus episodes for the Euros. We're still in negotiations about that with oh. the, with the three of us. Yeah, listen, we will have updates about what our plans are post-Premier League season. We will have updates closer to the time. That's something that we need to sit down and discuss. And, and you know, we haven't worked anything out yet. So that's something that we'll, uh, yeah, we'll sort later the, later the time. The enthusiasm for international football in your voice there is magical. Yeah, so I mean, it is. Yeah, I think people can maybe pinpoint where the negotiations are falling short at the moment for the Euros <laughs> chat. Dan, um, you don't want to see North Macedonia v Denmark. In the middle of my summer, Christopher. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, listen, that, that brings us to the end um, of today. Uh, thanks very much to everyone for uh, listening and, and obviously we'll be back again next week.